Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. <laughs> good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. Um, You're a little feisty this morning. I am a little feisty this morning about the stupid... It's not stupid. No, About it's the not. impeachment. Uh, it's not stupid. It just seems wasteful to me. It seems like what what has happened here is that we spent, what, a month or a month and a half or even longer if you go back to the pre-stuff, going through an impeachment that didn't amount to anything. Like, why bother? Okay, so let me ask you this. What if the outcome had been the Senate found President Trump guilty? Would your reaction be different today? Yes, I think, because I suspect that it would... Oh, I see what you're getting at. It can't be that every court case ends in a guilty thing because it's not always the person is guilty of something. No, because a, a court process is exactly that. It's and a process. And fair. Yes. Yeah, yeah, fair, whatever. <laughs> blah, blah. Blah, blah with your fairness. There, there, there's an old axiom among constitutional law uh, professors. Uh, fair is a four-letter word in the U.S. Constitution. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, okay, I take your point that... <laughs> If there had been a different, if it looked like progress had been made in some way, I mean, it looks like we're just back where we were oh, at the beginning. In fact, I would go ahead and argue uh, because the Senate um, uh, acquitted uh, President Trump, it has emboldened him, okay, even uh, uh, to break more behavioral norms in the office of the president. Okay, so I'm not imagining that. Oh, no. Because it feels like, no, no, no. And I'm not trying to slam Roger Stone, except please, I'm going to slam Roger Stone because come on, that guy's a jerk. But, um, you know, on the, on the or, other hand, or Rod Blagojevich, who we only can pronounce his name because he went to prison and we heard it so many times. Um, I, 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 but, like, but, but, pardons all of a sudden out of nowhere for people who I would not think you would be able to pardon unless you had just been acquitted of on the other hand, you know, crimes I, and misdemeanors. I, I would go ahead and argue that with your Roger Stone example and, and what Nia is talking about is the uh, press reports that President Trump has intervened in the Justice Department um, process in regards to what they recommended that the judge give Roger Stone, uh, a former um, conf- associate. associate, confidant. I think it's what they call uh, him, uh, associate. Okay. Because I'm not sure, in fairness, I'm not sure Donald Trump has a lot of friends. No. I think he has a lot of associates, associates. and he has family that sure. he's very close to. But yeah. I don't think he has a whole like huge circle of yeah, he, he's what n- most of us would think of as friends. He, he, well, and he's not even a traditional politician that would have a huge network of people for her, for whom he has done favors over the years, and they've done favors for him. Okay, right. I mean, he is, as as I just recently pointed out in my intro to uh, U.S. government class, um, he is unique among American presidents because uh, he had absolutely no government uh, service or experience uh, before running and being elected as president. And that, in fact, was a draw. For a lot of his, sure, a lot of right, for a lot of people who voted of, for him, a lot of Trump supporters, get in there and okay. shake it up, and let's see what somebody who's not part of the Washington in norm, norm uh, the establishment. What can of, they do? Yeah, Thank yeah. you, the establishment. What can they do? Um, but, but, but I mean, Roger Stone, like, okay, ignored his the orders the judge gave not to talk during his trial. Like, he's sure. just a. Okay, and that's all true. I don't like him as a person. On so the other I mean, hand, I don't know him. I, I don't would, like his public persona. I would dispute the press and the well over 1,000 Department of Justice former attorneys and staffers who, who have argued um, that the president and the current attorney general um, got involved in a process that they typically don't. I mean, we've had presidents as far back as Thomas Jefferson, who, you know, Jefferson went ahead and orchestrated uh, the prosecution case against Aaron Burr for treason. Did he? 
Yes. While he was president? While he was president. Okay, so he was a cheese ball, too. Uh, okay. I mean, oh, my goodness. Did I just say TJ was a cheese ball? <laughs> yes. I, can I still live in Virginia after no, I said I don't, that? I'm, hey, I'm not a native Virginian. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. Okay. I might have just crossed a line. Uh, okay, Sorry. Well, and well Sorry. I mean, hey, you know, if you say this in Charlottesville, okay. Yeah, I get run out of town. Okay. But the but your large your larger question here is one that I have received from a lot of students, uh, a lot of um, non university you know people that I come in contact with because they're just like, what was the purpose? Right. Okay. And, and right. It doesn't seem like there was like anything was accomplished here except the sides digging in even further further uh, on their side of whatever an issue is, which I find deeply frustrating. Okay. I also think, though, you just brought something up that I want to mention before it gets away from us, which is I think that Donald Trump in a lot of ways treats William Barr and previous attorneys general as if they are his attorney, like his attorney yeah. that he can direct. Because when you hire an attorney, you really can. If you are on trial for murder and you've hired an attorney to defend you and you do or don't want them to do something, you can tell them that. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of obligated as being your client. That is correct. I mean, you being their client to do that. So I think that he, in some ways, perceives the the attorney general as sort of his lawyer, the president's lawyer. Um, It could be that. It could be also the fact that he comes from the corporate world. Right, where the CEO is boss of everybody. That's right. The individual department heads uh, report to the CEO, and if they don't do what he wants, they're gone. Yeah. Do you think he'll fire... Barr? I think Barr resigns before Trump fires him. Okay. Yeah, because I think, um, though, again, it looks like at times Barr has done the president's bidding. I've firmly, I thought when Barr was picked by Trump, uh, Barr's view of the uh, office of president um, uh is different than Trump's, but the outcomes were similar enough to where the uh, uh, president felt comfortable. Barr basically believes that um, uh, the the president, if you will, um, gets to control the entirety of the executive branch. It's what uh, scholars refer to as the unitary executive theory, meaning that anything that goes on in the executive branch Okay, has to go through or be approved by the president. Ah, uh, okay. Nixon. Nixon was a fond believer of this, and so was uh, the second president, Bush. Okay. 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 And, I, and scholars are not entirely sure that Bush too, number forty-three. Okay, uh, president number forty-three uh, was as much of a believer in it as was Dick Cheney, the vice president. Okay. Um, Who scholars say was running the show. Well, all the daily operations, yeah, to a large extent. uh, Because, you know, Bush, too, uh, kind of sort of viewed his job as um, uh, 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 the CEO of the White House, right? And, you know, he would establish broad policy, but it was all the underlings who were supposed to go ahead and make it work on a daily basis. Right. They call those in business coups, right? Chief operating officers. Right? That's like right. You actually right. make mm-hmm. things come off the assembly line or yeah. or deals happen or whatever. You do that part and then you come to me for sort of broader vision, sort of the higher level vision versus the lower, lower level, level vision. Whereas, you know. Or the day to day vision. I uh, whereas say. a president like um, uh, Bill Clinton. Okay, he loved the policy details, right? And Jimmy Carter. Yeah, Jimmy Carter was that way, right? So the reason why I think Barr will resign before he gets fired is that because the president keeps on making public remarks about the Justice Department. Someone should shut down his Twitter Twitter account. account. Twitter, I plead with you. Help the man out because he cannot help himself. What we are watching is 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 a an alcoholic sitting at the bar and the bartender just keeps giving him drink after drink after drink no no cut him off he's not able to cut himself off the president cannot resist the urge to pick up his phone and and, go on twitter bless his heart as we say in the south in my ideal world all future presidents will have no social media accounts 
Well, I mean, they took away President Obama's phone. They're like, no, you can't have your phone. He's like, what do you mean I can't have my phone? Well, then I don't want to be president anymore. Like, terrible. I I, I just think um, that we need to return to the norm where White Houses, okay, do press conferences where yes some, and a press secretary there, keeps you from, from saying okay. things that you immediately want to say it's not that the president shouldn't have the right to have those emotions he should certainly have that right he should also i think have some sort of internal twitter account where he sends that to mm-hmm. just a few people who go yes you're right that's totally unfair or whatever and then he can get it out of his system and, and listeners do, do understand we're neither Nia or I are making a comment about the quality of the Trump presidency or whether we like Donald Trump as a president, etc. We're just talking about oh uh, no, the president. president. Yes, the, any president should not no, have Twitter. No, because because you're eventually gonna uh, show your butt, as they say. So, yes, um, because you're gonna say something out of turn that you shouldn't say because you're mad or because it's four o'clock in the morning or because some country somewhere has pissed you off for the final time and you can't stand it anymore, and you go on there and you say and you say something stupid like. I'm going to nuke Kazakhstan, right? And then everybody goes, what? what? And, you know, and then Kazakhstan's like, what did we do? And then it just turns into this whole thing because, yeah, and then the president has to say, I'm not, I was kidding, I'm sorry. Or in this case, this president doesn't do that, but he sends other people to say that. Sure. But I mean, that Kelly, what, I can't remember. Conway. Kelly Conway's almost entire job is apology. Sure. And sort of mister or redirection, not yeah, misdirection, redirection. Right? Um, and she's brilliant. She's oh, brilliant sure. at it. Yeah, because I mean, because you'd have to be. Sure, I mean, I, mean, I couldn't, I couldn't do her job. I, I mean, couldn't either. No, because I would probably, you know, they would send me out there to, you know, go on a or talk with reporters or go on a cable news show, and I'd be like, yeah, that's bullshit. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm like, I, I have no idea why they went ahead and why the president sent that uh, tweet. Yeah, it must have been four in the morning. He must have had a bad batch of, you know. You know Diet Coke. Yeah, okay. and sorry about that. And yes. then move on. No, yeah. Like it would be, or, or I would, I probably would get myself in trouble by agreeing. Yeah. And saying something even worse. Yeah, and not only that, but also <laughs> this and this and this. And then people would say, what is the White House's position? And they would say, well, we're not sending Nia out again because she clearly can't control herself. But back to him. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I guess, Sorry, but it, but, 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 but but it has emboldened his Twitter account as well, this impeachment trial. I mean, well, like, I mean, it's I not mean, just emboldened. I mean, I mean he, he, he's, he's going after enemies. He's uh, pardoned and commuted uh, uh, the sentences for a number of individuals. And as, as I pointed out w- with my students, um, you know, typically presidents withhold pardons and uh, uh, com- uh, commutations of sentences until their last year of their last term. So you s- frequently see this with the last year of the second term. He's running for re-election. So I can I cannot even imagine what kind of pardons, okay, in oh, com- in commutations on the second <laughs> if he if he wins the, the second, second term, term right? Yeah. Okay, um, there is there are so many political, if you will, layers to impeachment, and you and I talked about this in a previous podcast episode, right? Yes, it is a constitutional authority that the Congress has to check the executive branch or even judicial branch officials. But there are so many political calculations. And this gets at your your lament and other people's lament. If you look at what Congress did, they basically stopped doing any legislating for the last quarter of 2019. And it completely occupied the United States Senate Okay, for the what first three four uh, weeks of the 2020 congressional term. Okay, so you're basically talking about four to five months where the United States Congress basically did very little work. Okay, so you got a whole bunch of people who are like, whether I'm a Democrat or Republican, it doesn't matter. My, you know, you know, my criticism, and I'm speaking for them, is, you know. 
the Congress didn't do anything. And the Congress did some, some stuff. stuff. We shouldn't. We shouldn't. But it looks from the media portrayal that the Congress wasn't. There were hearings that were being held and okay, and things like that. But but we, the we know histori- the mental occupancy yes was taken up by this. And we know historically whether it was the impeachment of Clinton uh, or President Andrew Johnson or even lesser executive and judicial branch uh, uh, officials um, who were impeached, that uh, it is a time-consuming process. Okay, yes. it, 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 There are some things that do get delayed, postponed in either House of Congress while they are considering this. Okay, We also know that even though Richard Nixon was not impeached, the House of Representatives was drawing up articles to impeach him, impeach him, and the Senate was already taking vote counts as to whether or not they would find him guilty. That is what what led to Republican members of the House and the Senate to go to the White House and say, Mr. President, not only will the House impeach you, there's probably enough vote, votes to find you guilty, and that's what led Nixon to resign. But that all takes so time. So he would have and, been the first yeah, and only at this point president to be, be removed because of impeachment. Yes, he would have been found guilty. Okay. Can I ask you a question about impeachment that has nothing to do with this particular impeachment? Sure. But I have I've been rolling around in my head the idea that do you think there's some resistance to impeaching a president because then what the heck do we do? Well, that is the ultimate sanction. Well, no, I mean, like, the process at that point, is is it known? Like, what happened? Let's just pretend for well, just it, a moment that Nixon's that Nixon's trial had gone yeah. and that they had found him guilty of what I, I'm sure the impeachment articles were things like impeding justice and blah, 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 similar to what yeah, obstruction President of justice. Trump's um, would have been so. Let's say they find him guilty. The Senate finds him guilty, mm-hmm. and they say, "You go now." Right? Is that mm-hmm. what they say? Yeah. And then the president says, "No." Well, that's actually uh, been posed to me by a couple of my colleagues who are wondering what happens this November if President Trump loses the election. Um, and, and refuses to vacate the White House. And argues that the reason why he lost was because of uh, voter fraud. Right. Okay. Or some other intervention by yeah. another country, country yeah. something. And because there is doubt about our election process currently. Well, um, you have but to look at Iowa in order to see that even a simple thing can be turned into sure. enough drama to call the, an election into question. Uh, and at that point, we're in uncharted territory. Right. What is that your answer? Well, yeah, because it's not happened before. I don't okay. like that answer. Um, <laughs> none of my colleagues have liked that answer. Oh, good. Okay. okay. Uh, well, then I'm in good company because I know your colleagues and I like them. Okay, but my response has been this: Typically, what we would see is the United States Congress um, um, uh, would. Uh, okay, so. Let's go with the scenario that the 2020 presidential election, the result is the Democratic nominee wins. And President Trump says, um, uh, I refuse to turn over the office because I believe I did not lose due to a voter fraud. Right. Now, because of the Electoral College, Electoral College voters come to D.C. in December and they cast their votes. Right at that point, then uh, Congress certifies the Electoral College results. If a president then says, I'm not stepping down because I don't believe I lost, then the United States Congress would have to act institutionally before they could file a lawsuit in federal court. And what I'm talking about here is just because certain members of Congress believe that the president should step down or that the president lost, no, the courts are going to want Congress to speak as an institution, which means either or both the House of Representatives and the Senate will have to pass a resolution saying we have certified the Electoral College results, 
okay, the winner of the 2020 presidential election is the Democratic Party nominee. Um, and if at that point... Or me. Okay. Is uh, Nia. Yeah. Uh, the president refuses to step down, then they could file a federal lawsuit. But if they... Yes. Then it would go into the federal courts. And as I've told my colleagues, this is where rules of justiceability, where you know, the, 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 the federal courts try to answer the question, should we take a case? Unless Congress acts institutionally, the federal courts could punt the case. They could just avoid the case by saying Congress has not yet acted institutionally, so we're not going to take the case. And they could do so because they could argue that the case is not ripe, meaning there is not actually um, a conflict, okay? There are other avenues that could be uh, taken, okay? Or they could go ahead and say it's a political question that is best decided by the political branches. They are less likely to say it is not ripe or that it's a political question if Congress goes ahead and says in an institutional resolution, we believe the results of the 2020 presidential election is X, and we have the out- the incumbent president refusing, okay, to uh, legally acknowledge the results. Okay, wait. Do you think that it's possible that the House would say one thing and the Senate would say another? That's completely possible in the current hyper-polarized time that we so live in. So then there wouldn't be a universal resolution of some kind? No, but there would be at least one House of Congress that institutionally spoke, which would allow, at least for some federal judges, hey, at least one House of Congress has accepted the Electoral College results. We now have to step in. But even if it goes to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court says, uh, President Donald Trump, you lost the 2020 presidential election. You must now step down so that Nia Rogers can be the next president. Um, um, Again, it's not like the Supreme Court has an implementation unit. I was going to say, they don't have any enforcement power beyond we're telling you to do this. That's right. Don't make us come over with our black robes and lace collars and sit on your lawn. Because that's what we'd have to do since we don't have an army. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I think they have one guy. Don't they have one guy who stands at the back of the court and basically keeps you from leaping at people? They have a Right, security force, force, but but, they're probably not commandos that can go over to the White House and take down the president. It's wholly defensive. Okay, (laughs) you know, it's to avoid like you know crap crackpots like me showing up during oral (laughs) arguments and yelling. You can't do that. (laughs) Okay, drag him out now. Okay, right, right. Okay, so 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 this is so we're absolute worst case scenario, which I don't believe is going to happen, but absolute worst case scenario is. We have this election. I win. Mm-hmm. That's not President the worst. Trump. That's not the worst case part of, <laughs> of the hypothetical. Well, okay. Let's. Be- uh, depends on who you ask, but so and President Trump refuses to step down. Mm-hmm. And then Congress says, "Nah, Nia won. You have to go now." Mm-hmm. And he says, "I'm sorry, I can't hear you over the sound of me not listening." And then the Congress sues him. Yeah, files a lawsuit and says. Make him go away. Mm-hmm. And the courts, it goes to, works its way up to the Supreme Court, right? Because it has to start at the district level. It can't just, you can't just leap to the Supreme Court level. This, the Supremes yeah. take it because there's no way they're not going to take it. If they took, if they took Bush v. v. Gore, they're going to take this, right? Because this is a whole different, I mean, this is, yeah, under, this is potentially country ending stuff. Well, if the logic of Bush versus Gore is applied here, they have to take the case. Right. I mean, because the reason why they talk Bush, Bush, Bush versus Gore is that for the many— The tumult to the nation. Yeah, because I mean, many of the justices were just like, hey, you know, we're into December, and um, we got, you know, the Electoral College vote coming up, and Florida is still down there, you know, <laughs> looking at hanging looking at chads. chads. That's right. Okay. They got to knock that off. So, so then the Supremes say— you go now yes. to the president. And the president says, I still can't hear you because I have earbuds in where I'm not listening. I'm mm-hmm. not listening to what you say. We don't have a mechanism as a country for what to do at that point. No, because the army armies actually controlled. Worked, works for him. That's right. 
So does the FBI. Now, the question is, but the Army, but the, when you take your oath, you specifically say that you will uphold the Constitution. Yes. So if a president stays beyond his election, there becomes a question about whether that's constitutional or not. And if the Supremes ruled unconstitutional, they may not back his play. We don't know because we don't know what they would do. But we would be in completely uncharted territory. Well, actually, no. We would be in a coup. Well, I mean, potentially. If everybody in the nation agreed that I won, but Donald Trump wouldn't leave, that's... Okay. Is that not a coup? Well, it's, I mean, isn't that kind of what happened in Venezuela? Well, potentially, yeah, yeah. But also, too, in your hypothetical, okay, the Department of Defense, okay, you know, every member of the military, you know, uh, takes an oath to uphold the Constitution, right? Okay, fine. But what part of the Constitution? Right. Okay. The, the, in Article Two uh, of the Constitution, or excuse me, sec- yeah, Article Two of the Constitution, uh, the president is commander in chief. If your commander gives you an order, you're supposed to follow, right? Right. Except unless it's an unlawful order. Okay, unlawful. Which order. is the whole. Okay, but how about this question about the Nuremberg trials? They made me do it. Okay, but also the president is to take care to faithfully execute the law. If Donald Trump is saying I am faithfully executing the law. Okay, and the law is we need to have a free and fair election, and I'm arguing that it wasn't either free or fair. Which part of the Constitution do you uphold? Yeah, it's complicated. Sure it is. Which, uh, (laughs) now, we're doing this whole hypothetical, hyperbolic sort of thing. I don't think that would happen, because I honestly don't believe... I do not believe in his heart of hearts that Donald Trump wants to destroy the United States. And that would have such a deleterious effect on the United States, on the markets, on the on people's day-to-day lives. Right? Like that kind of roiling drama would – it's not the kind of drama that we've had with the impeachment. It would be times eight trillion. I mean it would just be sure. horrific. And I don't think he's – on the other I don't, hand, I don't. I don't. I think he is a reasoned adult, and I think he has reasoned people around him who would say, "Your legacy is going to be destroying the United States. Is that what you want?" Okay, you say all that, and that's okay. What I hope for. On the other hand, there are political scientists, um, and there's a, a book I'm using right now, my Crisis of Democracies class, how democracies die, to where. Donald Trump goes ahead and fits pretty much all the variables or all the characteristics of a of a populist demagogue. Okay, who well, goes, and he would see himself as a savior figure. He sure. would see himself as saying this election was unfair and this is not the will of the people and the system's not working. The system is rigged, uh, okay. and so I need to stay here and fix it. Okay, so I mean, which is how you get the second term. Then how you get the third term is we need to change the, the constitution. constitution. Okay, which is what our young Mister Mister Putin on his you know, horseback, there, there are shirtless a, horseback riding moments has. There are a number of demagogues of allegedly democratic regimes currently in the in the world. OK, that they're that on their 18th term because yeah, they've come in and gone ahead and said that the Constitution currently doesn't serve the public. We need to make changes to it. Um, if there are people in the national legislature you know, the equivalent of our Congress, who don't agree, well, then we need to replace them with people who actually do agree that the system no longer works. And then once you get the new people in, um, you change the Constitution. If the judges disagree... Uh, then you th- remove the judges. Or you pack the courts. I mean... Uh, very Rooseveltian of you. Well, yeah. And, and, that, <laughs> and that's why even liberal constitutional law scholars have pushed back against some of the... Uh, Democratic Party nominees for president who've been talking about packing the courts. I mean, that's yeah, that's that, that's out that of, way lies madness. OK, that's that's, you know, you know, that's like step one or two out of the demagogue playbook. <laughs> right? Is there a book? Demagogues 101 <laughs> where you open yeah. up you're like, first, win an election. Second, never have another election. Third, get rid of the judges. Demagogues for dummies, right? Okay. <laughs> no, but I mean, it, and... You know what? Okay. Can I just stop you for a second? Yes. So I got my HCEP degree while you were the chair of that department. Sure. You're- 
And yes. I think I have told you on multiple occasions that for those two and a little bit years, I did not sleep at night because you taught me to be afraid of things that I had never even considered being afraid. You and your colleagues. It wasn't just you. Yeah, but I but mean, like my all con- of a sudden I was worried about EMPs and grid down and solar flares. And, and then I was worried about hurricanes and, and Katrina and people dying, you know, like gaps and, in the Constitution. I mean, I was worried about all kinds of stuff. Right. Like and well, and then the questions about like you in your law class, we talked about Guantanamo in two different cases. Yes. Right? Like, how do we how do we deal with prisoners of war and what do we do with that sort of thing and who has the rights and who doesn't so i didn't sleep for like two and a half years i didn't sleep and all my friends were like what is wrong with you and i'm like no no i'm fine i'm just getting this degree what you're laying out here is my terrified oh. scenario of oh well then i just can't ever sleep again like Me. the idea that any president not donald trump but, but any president, president would say i'm not going and you can't make me is it's terrifying. I mean, we've just always assumed that people would be gentlemanly or woman, gentlewomanly or whatever um, um, recently and it, it's, and have the peaceful transition of power. It scares me to think that there might not be and in this book, that how, in our future. And in this book, How Democracies Die, um, they talk about um, two behavioral norms that are so important for democracies to continue to be viable. One is mutual toleration, meaning that um, you tolerate the opposition. Okay, you acknowledge that they are legitimate. That when they win elections, okay, they get to occupy the authority of those positions. Okay, well we're low on that. We're low on that, and then the other one is forbearance, and it's the idea that just because you have the authority, you shouldn't necessarily use it. Oh, holy cow, we're low on that, too. We're Uh, doomed. Okay. We're doomed. Great. Thank you. I didn't want to sleep tonight anyway. Well, and— Or ever again, And and this is going to make it worse uh, uh, in in regards to (laughs) you you, you not sleeping. (laughs) So my colleague, uh, Judy Twigg, uh, in a series—it's pretty remarkable how we are recording this podcast episode the morning after she sent me a flurry of of text messages. (laughs) I love Dr. Twigg. Okay. She's awesome. And she goes, well, from a public law perspective, how would this play out? Basically, in response to the scenario you and I have been discussing for like the last 10 minutes. And then she said, what's your level of confidence that we will have a peaceful transition? And I said, uh, you know, Judy, I'm an institutionalist, okay, and I study institutions and whether or not they have the capacity to act or the, or the, you know, if you will, forethought, the forbearance to occasionally not act. And I said, and this is what troubles me. Because right now, the United States Congress does not have the capacity to work as a singular institution to push back like James Madison, okay, constructed in the Constitution. Okay, I mean, this goes back to, okay, why do you have separate but shared powers? Madison's assumption was that ambitious people in each branches of the government would push back against the other branches if they went too far. Well, you could say impeachment was at least one branch or one house of Congress pushing back, but they didn't act in concert. So as far as Trump is concerned, he was found not guilty. So he's emboldened to go ahead and act. Well, what if Congress doesn't act as a singular voice in this election scenario that we've laid out, right? Well, as I told uh, Dr. Uh, Judy Twigg, I said, you know, Judy, what concerns me is right now Congress does not have the capacity to push back. And we have a courts, you know, a federal court branch, but in particular, the United States Supreme Court, where a majority of the justices are conservatives. I said, my only hope is that justices like a John Roberts or a Neil Gorsuch say, hey, wait a minute here. Not only is this bad for our institution, if we don't go ahead and say, incumbent president, you have to turn over the office. But they also recognize it would be bad for their institution if they don't. Okay. And I said, and I'm not entirely sure, okay, that the courts are institutionally capable. 
And that's what concerns me. It's the damage to the institutions. Even if we get through this, even if we got through this nightmare scenario, I'm not entirely sure that our institutions right now uh, would be able to recover um, as quickly as we would hope that they would so that the nation goes back to governing. I mean, that's always the downside. Okay, and, and, and I laid this out in my uh, crisis class. I said, okay, guys, I asked for a show of hands how many of you are uh, supporting um, Bernie Sanders in the Democratic uh, uh, primary, um, and a whole bunch raised their hand. And I said, you guys recognize that potentially this election, we will have two major party candidates who within this decade or earlier in this decade weren't even members of those parties. Right. Because Bernie Sanders was independent. That's right. And decided to run as a Democrat. And Donald Trump for a long time was, was a Democrat. Was more or less a, a Democrat, Democrat. Although I don't know if he was ever declared. Declared, no. But, but he was and, supportive of certain, if you will, policy positions and, of the Democrat, Democratic and Party. acts in many ways as libertarian. Sure. Currently. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's yeah. so he's kind of across the board. And I said, and what we know historically is that when political parties – um, don't act as gatekeepers for who actually runs, or they don't go, do a really good job, okay, uh, weeding out, you know, populist demagogues. Um, that's when, in other countries, the democracies have failed. You have to stop doing this to me. <laughs> I'm just reporting what the political science scholarship and research no, points you're out. You're making me sad, and you're going to make me have big black circles under my eyes. But back to the back to but the. I, wait, yeah. but I want to ask you about that. Okay. I mean, because yeah. you said something there, and it triggered something, and made me think. So I think Mitch McConnell, I think his nirvana would be a Republican president forever. Sure. But I'm not sure his nirvana is Donald Trump as president forever. No, if I had to venture a guess, Don, uh, Mitch McConnell's had to go ahead um, and uh, make the equivalent of a deal with the devil. Right. And so I'm not entirely certain that Mitch McConnell would support an eternal presidency from Donald Trump because I do think that he, like many politicians, really prefers the status quo. He prefers recognizable plays within the playbook, right? This is this is how we run a Republican election. This is how we run a Democratic election, mm-hmm. right? I think he prefers that. And I, I don't know that he would make the choice to say, I'm going to get behind Donald Trump forever. I I could see him making some sort of bargain with Pelosi about we're going to come out as you have to accept the election because we believe that elections are important and because we, we're not certain that we want this president to be ongoing forever. Okay, so in the hypothetical we laid out, right, you have a president who refuses – an incumbent president who refuses to accept the outcome of a presidential election. Right. Do they just punt Okay. since this is a first-term president? Um, and – and the speaker is still Nancy Pelosi, a Democrat, and the Senate Majority Leader is still Mitch McConnell. I could see Mitch McConnell making a deal with Pelosi that basically goes ahead and says something along the lines of the following. Okay, fine. I will instruct the Republican Party caucus in the Senate, okay, to um, uh, accept a resolution saying that there should be a peaceful transition uh, of authority from the current president to the, let's say, Democratic uh, uh, um, uh, nominee who won the election. But you have to go ahead and promise me the following in regards to payback. I see Mitch. A, a deal. Yeah. You would make an you, old school deal. You would, an old school deal. Okay. I'll back your play for but, going to the courts. But, but, but the next. But nominee for something or the next whatever, whatever you, you do can, without. Yeah, you can't go ahead and punish us. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, you have to instruct your folks oops. not to use this in the next election, election as some kind of lever yeah. leverage. 
Yeah. And because that's not cool. Okay. And if Pelosi made that deal, and by the way, okay, which she would. Uh, well, maybe. Well, well, maybe. But she would also. I mean, she's wily. She is okay, but. Pelosi would have to go ahead and rein in the more progressive part of her caucus. That's true. She's got some. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> she's got some young ladies up there who have definite opinions. Yes. Who, who you know, whose approach to uh, the Republican slash Party. Slash and burn. Okay. Is slash and burn. Not mutual tolerance. Right. <laughs> Right. I mean, and, 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 and that's what the tr- truly scary thing is. In both political parties right now, okay. You have some pretty intense people but, okay. who are not interested in working with the other side at all. And, you know, the, the, the notion of forbearance also talks about how you accept short term losses for long term benefits and gains. Right. Okay. So the Republican Party, in my estimation, very correctly has been castigated in the media, okay, for jumping in, you know, jumping on board with the current president, right? Because it led to short-term gains. They won the president and they re, uh, regained control and maintained control of the Senate. Okay. For now. For now. But what does that do to the party long-term? Right. Because the Republican Party is in disarray. The disarray. Like, when you can say, when you can say with a straight face, <laughs> Mitt Romney is not a Republican, I'm sorry. Uh, what are you talking about? Like your face should be doing weird things when you say that. Okay. Because your nose should be like Pinocchio's. Right. Okay. I, I mean, come on. Okay. Every other vote he's taken has been clearly Yes. Clearly in the Republican category. Uh, he's not yes. some sort of centrist, funky weirdo. No. I mean, come on. No. Come on. This is Mitt Romney we're talking about. He's an establishment Republican, okay, who got elected to the Senate from the state of Utah. From a, Well, and from a place <laughs> where he didn't even live until about 10 minutes before that. Okay. Like, but Utah, right. Like, okay. if it were any more conservative. conservative it, it, yeah. I mean, we're talking rock-ribbed, okay, okay. You know, straight down the line, Republican, and and, I, and I'm I'm listening to members of the Republican Party who's like, you know, he's not really a, a Republican. Republican. Like, I was who, just like, who are you talking about? about? Okay, on what planet is is he not exactly? Is he is he not Republican? Well, and if we're living in that world where he's not a Republican. <laughs> Then we may be living in the world where the president just digs in and says, I don't care what the election is, I'm not leaving. Yeah. I mean, we may actually be living in that world because those guys, I, I don't understand. My, I guess my first part of my frustration with the impeachment is impeaching a president is a big deal. I get it. And voting, voting against your party's president is a huge deal. And for some people, that, means you, won't today. Be, that, yeah. that means you won't be in office anymore because yeah. you'll get voted out. You'll get primaried. I get that. And I get that some of that was self-protection. But there's another part of me that says, where's your line? Where's your line? If, if the president releases emails that say, that say, I did this criminal thing, right? I told them to hold the money, blah, 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 blah. And they did. They released those emails. And you can still vote to not impeach. Where's your line? What does the president have to do to be impeached? Or you I'm could, a little worried about that. I'm a little worried that we're setting that bar to a place where, so does the president have to be an active shooter at a elementary school in order for, to be impeached? Like, where's the... Yeah, and, and where's the line? I mean, it, it shouldn't it, just be, oh, it's casual. That should never, never be. Well, I mean, and and, and 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 I was going to say that that is a question that um, some neutral observers have asked the, um, you know, wanted to ask the uh, uh, Democratic House managers of the articles of impeachment during the trial. Okay, so. If this was uh, abuse of power and obstruction of justice, okay, um, is that now the line in regards to presidents, okay, being impeached? Yes, yeah, and I don't, I'm okay. not sure I agree with that. Okay, because um, that comes down to a really subjective definition of what you think. Yeah, because as, as I told my students, I said, you know, I'm old enough to remember when Bill Clinton got impeached. And I said, I was a little shocked when he wasn't found guilty in the Senate because he lied under oath. 
he broke the law. Right. If, if an if obstruction of justice, justice is breaking, breaking the, the law. law. Like, I'm not so sure I think about the first article. Yeah. It's the second article that I was like, okay, but if you have obstructed justice, if you have not released things you should have or you didn't or you told people not to talk when they had been subpoenaed, right? Like, there's some serious questions there about your and, and, and about your upholding the and, law. And with that particular charge, obstruction of justice— Okay, the the argument that the House was making is, you know, the president ordered um, all of his subordinates and all of the agencies within the realm of the executive branch to uh, not comply with House subpoenas. Right. Okay. Now, as other constitutional law scholars have pointed out, that's happened before. But typically what has happened before is both sides, the Congress and the president, negotiated back channels behind closed doors and worked out deals to where some information got released, okay, and other information was kept private or confidential. But neither side right now is willing to go ahead and compromise. Right. Nancy Pelosi could not go ahead and say to the progressive wing of her party, hey, guys, we're getting this information, but we're not getting this because I've made a deal. Likewise, Donald Trump, okay, okay, clearly drew a line in the sand and said, okay, I can't believe they are investigating me. I can't believe they're even challenging me. I'm not giving okay. them anything. I'm not giving them anything, right? And that's where we're at right now. Right. Okay. I don't know if the president obstructed justice per se. You know, a legal definition is, oh, hell yes, he did. Okay, but in terms of the history of this country, okay, what usually happens, okay, and numerous scholars have pointed this out, okay, as far back as the first president, George Washington, okay, was asked by the Congress, okay, to give information in regards to a number of different scenarios. And Washington pushed back and said, no, okay, in effect, executive privilege, okay. Um, and what they did was they worked behind the scenes and they came to an agreement and Washington released some information, but not all of it, which allowed both parties to save face publicly. But right. they made a deal. They made a deal. Yeah, we've. I think we're post-deal Do politics you, at this point. Well, I mean, think about this. It's really scary. It's, it's, we it's, can't. Yeah, it, it is truly scary, right? We can't get basic deals on basic. I mean, this is this is more complex, and maybe we couldn't have gotten this deal, but we've gotten to the point now where, and I'm not. I'm, you can make the criticism of 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 of, of, of the, both of sides. sides of the president. Nancy Pelosi should have drawn up those articles of impeachment and then walked them right over to Mitch McConnell's house. But but you sat know, on them for, what, three weeks? Right. Don't make drama where there doesn't need to be drama. If you think this is the right thing to do, do it. Do it and be done with it so that the country can get into it, get over it, and, and move and, on or and, whatever. And her argument was, I want a guarantee from the Senate that they will actually hold a meaningful trial. I was just like, okay. But you're not going to get, get that. It. You're not going to get that, right? And what a thing to say to the Senate, I don't believe you're going to hold a meaningful trial. <laughs> so then why did you go ahead and vote on articles of impeachment? Right, because now you've put some of your people in a position of being in trouble in their districts because they're from more conservative, conservative districts. Or, or moderate, yeah. okay. They're and in, so now they're having to answer for a question that didn't need to be asked if you didn't think there was going to be a fair trial. Yeah, I'm annoyed by all of it. I'm annoyed by all of it because I think all of it was theater. Oh, it was political symbolism. And I think it was, symbolism, and I think it was bad large. theater. Oh, I yes. Think it, was, it was like off, 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 off Broadway community theater, but not even that good. Because community theater, those people are at least devoted and they learn their lines. Okay, yeah. It, it, it's like sitting through a play where, you know, midway through the second act and you know there's going to be a third act. You start questioning, one, okay, who wrote this? Two, okay, um, who designed the, you know, if you will, the, the stage and, you know, all the decorations, et cetera. You start wondering, is there any direction going on here? Right. It, you start asking yourself questions that have that have, have nothing to do the, with the play. The play. At that point, you're like, oh, I wonder where she got that purse. That's a really nice purse. I mean, you've lost yes. and then you start, the thread. And, 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 and then when your mind comes back, you start thinking about the actors, okay, right. in this badly written, badly directed play and wonder, who thought that this person, okay, could <laughs> what, play this role? And then you're like, 
oh, and there's one more act. Okay, can I feign illness? <laughs> right. Okay. Is it possible for me to call in sick for the third act? And and you feel terrible because you know that some of these people are truly committed, et cetera, et cetera. But you're like, this has been a fiasco from the onset. And yes, it, it, we thought we would do Romeo and Juliet through interpretive dance. <laughs> okay. I hung in as long as I could, right? Like, I'm, I'm not – actually, there probably is a really good production of interpretive dance, Romeo and Juliet. But anyway, I haven't seen it, if there is one. But it, it frustrates me and angers me that we are at the point where political theater is more important to us than actually doing the people's business. And I don't believe it's just one side or the other. I believe it is both, both sides. sides. Yes. I think they're both guilty. And I think the president is guilty of this. Oh, my I think goodness, the president yes. is guilty of grandstanding when he could just be doing the work of the presidency. Um, and I, I think he... And I think he imperils the work of other people by dragging them into stuff they didn't like. I I mean, I'm not a huge fan of William Barr, but I think William Barr is a competent attorney. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's a, I, a competent bureaucrat. And I think he woke up one day and thought <laughs> and, and thought to himself, why am I in this play and how can I get out of it? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that— At, at what point and, did William Barr look around to his family and friends and say, why did you guys not hold me down, lock me in my basement, okay, and, and until— tell me no. In, 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 until I said, no, I don't I, think that this is a position or an offer I should entertain. Ex- exactly. It's been an honor to be asked, Mr. President, but I'm going to have to say no. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, John Kelly's thinking that, too, man. I should have just said no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, and he's sort of, I mean, President Trump is, is sort of, um, there's lots of people who have been embroiled in that sort of thing who probably would not have been embroiled in it otherwise. Yeah. Um, and then there are other people who have been quite successful, in part because they are doing things the president cares nothing about. Sure. Part of it is that. If you get on his radar, it's a bad thing because now he wants to get involved. (laughs) But if you can stay off his radar, you can go about doing things the way people have been doing things for, you know. Sure. Yeah. Dozens of years. And I'm not sure that he's the only president that that was – that that has been true of because I think other people have run afoul of presidents who are like – Oh, what are you going to the Middle East for? And you're like, nothing. And then they want to know. And then you're like, well, I was just going to see if I could negotiate a treaty. And your voice drifts off and they say, what, 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 what? And all of a sudden you're now you're in the spotlight. I'm sure that actually happens with a lot of presidents. But this particular president is so used to veto power in his personal life and in his business life that it doesn't occur to him to get out of the way of people who may know more about something than he does and let them do that thing, which I think is probably enormously frustrating. And it's got to be enormously frustrating for Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell. McConnell, yeah. Right. We've been doing this for a thousand years. Well, not a thousand, but, you know, we've been doing this for quite a quite a few years. Get out of our way and let us negotiate the Congress for you. And that just doesn't seem yeah, to be and, happening. Yeah, because I, I, I don't think right now Nancy Pelosi or Mitch McConnell, one, are all that pleased having to interact with President Trump. But I don't think they're all that pleased um, with um, uh, their more radical Me, the the more radical members of That's their true. caucuses. I, you know okay. what I think? I think that they would, if they could, they would say to everybody, "Hush." <laughs> Right. They just say it to every single person who is within their realm of influence. Hush. Let me do the talking. Yes. OK. Let's move it back to the middle. Let's everybody calm down. Stop going so, off on so tangents. In our, so in one of our previous discussions where we went ahead and advocated that all future presidents um, should not be on social media, I'm kind of sort of thinking that both Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell would like to have all of their members Okay. Oh, not on social, social media. No Facebook, no Twitter, no <laughs> Instagram. No Instagram, no, no Tinder accounts. So I don't care if you're single, you're going to stay single. single. <laughs> Nothing. Nobody talks to anybody. Oh, my gosh. They probably would love that. But this is, we're beyond that as a generation. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And in fairness to the younger folks that are coming up, they're like, yeah, yeah, your geezerly ways have not worked. 
Yes. So we got to try something else because yeah. this isn't working. Yeah. I mean, I mean are, are we in a, a period, a transition period in the lifespan of our democracy? Right. I mean, and how we perform our democracy. Because, I mean, you know, that's the question in particular I've asked my students um, in my crisis of democracy class. I said, is this a, just a transitionary period? They said, is this um, akin to uh, the Civil War? Uh, the Great Depression and the New Deal. Because um, I said, you know, it was not only, I mean, particularly with the, the latter of those two examples, not only did we have a paradigm shift in regards to which level of government would dominate the federal government instead of state and local governments, but we also kind of sort of threw off the, the coat of isolationism with our involvement in World War II. Um, right. Uh, and know, then we ended up in Korea and Vietnam you know, and Afghanistan. It, 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 and that's a huge Iraq. And, uh, you know, that that was a huge transition in regards to U.S. foreign policy. Right. Um, and think about the Cold War. When the Cold War ended, I mean, for, you know, a short period of time, we were the world's dominant power. We were the hegemon in the language of international relations. Um, and you could make the argument, we didn't respond all that well. Mm. Okay. We did. Right. Um, uh, we so, now, you know, we now live in a post-terrorist world. Okay. And as you and I've discussed, um, we still haven't dealt with fundamental questions about how to retrofit the Constitution in a post-9-11 world. Right. And wars on things and not on states. That's right. Because in the time of the revolution, they didn't really have wars on yeah. ideas. Yeah. I mean, We're throwing off monarchy. Like, they didn't throw off monarchy. No, they had a— They threw off Great Britain. Britain, yes. Because— yes. You know, right. They weren't. They, I mean, because they they did. If they were throwing off monarchy, they wouldn't have immediately turned around and said to Washington, you want to be king? <laughs> like, and he was like, uh, no, no, thanks. I've got other few other things to do. But so, I, I so some, in the whole I, scenario, I, I have of, some moonshine to go ahead and produce. Exactly. Okay. I have to go get another set of teeth made. Um, I know it's not his teeth were not made of wood, but he was um, a moonshiner. Was he? Yes, he was. Good for him. Yes. Weren't they all at that point? I mean, it's not like it was illegal. Uh, that is a very good point. But a number of our quote unquote founding fathers, uh, like many okay wealthy Americans at that time, oh, by the way, great book. Okay, wholly unrelated to this discussion, Daniel Okrent, uh, who was a former editor publisher of the New York Times, wrote a book called uh, Last Call: The Rise and Fall of Prohibition in the United States, and the, the first three or four chapters of the book, okay, talk about how we were a nation that was basically founded on alcohol, okay, because so many of our founding fathers made a whole bunch of money producing alcohol, okay, and that's what's even more remarkable about the fact that we actually passed the Prohibition Amendment, okay, was that this was a nation that to a large extent was founded on alcohol, but then we went ahead and said, okay, you could no longer traffic in alcohol, what were we thinking? Well, we, it didn't last. <laughs> it didn't. I mean, yeah, but it, it, right, it, like, yeah, yeah, true. It didn't last, but nevertheless, what I mean, it showed us is that sometimes amendments. Oh yeah, the democratic process. Okay, is uh, 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 screws up. Yeah, is occasionally a complete mistake. Oh my God, yeah. Well, and yeah. and sunset clauses come into play once you get the twenty seventh, right? Which is two hundred years old. Yes. Because somebody said we ought to start putting sunset clauses on these things. Because <laughs> otherwise. Otherwise, it could just hang out here forever. And then, you know, a college student writes a paper. And, 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 and the and next the, thing you know. We're off to the races. But anyways, I digress. <laughs> but nevertheless, yeah. It, it's, so in the scenario, right? Yes. Just let's go back to our worst case horrible scenario. I know we got, we, we're going to wrap up here in just a couple of minutes. But so let's pretend, right? Donald Trump digs in. And so you really don't want to get to sleep anytime soon. I don't. Okay. No. So, <laughs> I just want well, to be... not now because it's morning when we're recording this, okay. and that seems like not a good thing to do at work. But okay. But I just want to make make it very clear to the listeners. Okay. Despite my best efforts to move away That's from the, these nightmares, I've come so... back to the scenario. <laughs> my earrings keep falling out. That's how bad it is. Um, so, so, uh, okay. So Donald in this, Trump in this is dug in. Yes. 
And he's got those guys, snipers on the rooftop and all of his stuff to protect him. And, you know, and he's like, I'm not going anywhere. You watched White do House Down think, way too many times. I did, I've not seen that movie, but I'm going to. Um, do you think that the American people are organized enough to march slash rebel? Because I've always wondered about that, and I know it's a separate question, and I'm going to ask you that question on another episode. So save your bigger, bigger, bigger answer for how is it that these things actually happen? Because it's not like the people don't notice when somebody wipes out their government and then installs themselves as dictator for life. It's not like the Philippines, like, like the Filipinos did not notice that Duterte has not gone away. Right. Yeah. Or Hugo Chavez or whoever, whoever you want or Putin, right? Whoever you want to look at. So are we as Americans sort of complacent? Would we be just like, no, oh, I, I do that, but I got other stuff to do on Saturday. So I'm just going to stick around here. Or would we just en masse go to D.C. and, well, that's a and good... physically force the yeah, confrontation? That, yeah, that's a good question. And uh, unfortunately... On one hand, I could see uh, a whole bunch of people, particularly those um, who are not rabid partisans, okay, who would say, okay, this is unacceptable, um, and I, I now got to step up. On the other hand, um, uh, the, the American democratic regime has been um, labeled by very, very bright scholars, historians, as being somewhat complacent at times. Mm. Okay, um, so while um, I acknowledge um, uh, and appreciate the rich history of of protest movements in the United States, um, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, this is one of those situations to where it would require not only those who oppose. Donald Trump and or the Republican Party, but it would also require moderate conservatives to go ahead and say, even if this means that the person who I voted for in my political party um, needs to be removed from office. Right. They would have to be willing to say country before Before party. party. Yeah. Country before president. Yeah. Which would be complicated. It would be complicated. I mean, because, I mean, we know this about those who um, uh, voted for Donald Trump in 2016 and have remained faithful to him. Okay. Their support has not budged. It doesn't matter if he screws up what he says of an inflammatory nature, whether or not he goes after the, the progress. Of his... Yeah. You know, they have remained very, very faithful. I I think that that's in part because they believe they are putting country first. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. I think they're yeah. they are seeing an existential threat to the American life and the American way of life and the American dream. Or at least their version of it. Right. Yeah. And they're seeing that he and they think that he can Yeah. fix that mm-hmm. or at least that he can prevent any more deterioration of it. Sure. I think very few people vote for somebody that they hate because <laughs> they don't think there's a greater surf- purpose being served. I-, I have voted for people I wasn't totally thrilled with, but I thought that their purpose was in line with my purpose. Like, sure. And that their service yeah. was the kind of mm-hmm. service that I would yeah, want. Cause, yeah, because you and I talked about it before. Um, you and I are of a class of American voter um, who – generally leans towards we want stability in government. Right. Um, And I don't know if our numbers have shrunk so much, okay, that we have become, you know, a a very distinct minority. Um, But like you, I've actually cast votes for candidates who I'm like, personally, maybe even policy-wise, they haven't rocked my world. They haven't made me really, really happy. But I didn't think they would do all that much damage, <laughs> okay? Right. Or that they were perfectly acceptable um, and would make sure that the bureaucracy does what it's supposed to, that the Congress occasionally gets checked, and that our foreign policy would not necessarily lead to World War Three. Yeah. 
That's I've done that. I mean, that's exactly and, 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 that and, and, has exactly <laughs> been my calculus. I am not in love with this person. I don't even particularly like them, but I believe them to be stable and intelligent. And so I believe that they're going to make rational decisions. And that's a, a huge thing for me. If I if I read about a candidate, I'm like, oh, you left rationality a long time ago. <laughs> then it's a little like like I love the rants too damn high guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. I love him on a personal level. I could not vote for him oh, if no. he had been a national candidate. No. Because, no. one, he's a one-issue dude, which yeah. is not, not good anyway. But also, I'm not entirely certain how rational he was. Same like, um, didn't Theresa May have a vote off against a guy with a bucket on its head? <laughs> yes. Sir Bucket or yeah. something? Sir whatever? Yeah, what was his name? What I can't even name? remember yeah. what his name was. But yeah, he, he wore a bucket, a bucket on his head, head and, and she had to stand there in photographs spread. with him and not smack him in the... Well, she wouldn't smack him in the head because she'd hit her hand on that bucket. But, I mean, and no. she had to treat him as a, a real candidate because the people treated him as a real candidate. Mm-hmm. So, okay, well, you know what? I'm just going to plan on not sleeping till (laughs) late November. No, I guess late December, because I have to see what happens with the Electoral College. Yeah, I mean, you know, the other thing is, you know, what if the result, you know, what if the results are so overwhelming one, one way or the other? At that point, then, okay, even if there was voter fraud, it would still not affect the outcome. Right. I mean, if it was... If it was, you know, 58 to 42, that's not a margin of error that's that's probably fraud. That's yeah. And that's that's a that's a speaking of the people. Yeah. And we want, you know, you know, if there was an electric electoral college outcome. okay, so there's 540 of those votes. Right. You know, what if it was like, you know. Um, I'm terrible at math, so please forgive me, listeners. But you know, let's say, you know, one candidate gets 350, okay, right. and the other one gets 220. You know, that's yeah, not a yeah. That's not a contest. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, so it's kind of sad, is what it is. But yeah. it's not a contest. But it would be considered a landslide, and right. it wouldn't matter, okay, how much fraud occurred. Um, <laughs> okay, you got your butt kicked. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, you know. Was it was the president President Obama said you got shellacked? <laughs> Shellac. We got shellacked, right? Which you got to admire, you know. That's well, a great it, it, word. well, in the former painter in me, okay, you know, I was just like, hey, I know that word, <laughs> right? Okay. Me and Obama. Yeah, me yeah. and Obama having a beer. <laughs> yeah. How about that shellacking? <laughs> Anyways. All right. Well, so we'll talk again next week. All right. Have a good day. Thanks. <laughs> You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.